Okay, well, um, welcome to RUF. If you've been with us, you know we're doing a series called Don't Stop Believing, A Guide to the Christian Faith. And um, tonight, we're basically what we're doing is we're looking kind of week by week, and we're taking a phrase from the Apostles' Creed to use it to kind of dive into and explore uh, the heartbeat of, of what it means to be a Christian, especially what it means to believe as a Christian. And tonight, we're coming to the place where we talk about that we believe that on the third day he rose again from the dead. So tonight we're going to talk about the resurrection. And it's interesting because Paul actually says that if the resurrection isn't true, then of all people, Christians are, are the most to be pitied. And in other words, what he's saying is the resurrection is actually in some ways the key to understanding all of Christianity. And what I want to do tonight, what I, I hope happens for you tonight, is that the resurrection actually expands not only your view of who Jesus is, but expands your view of what the gospel is as well. And so, if you brought a Bible, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage from John, the gospel of John, uh, in verse twenty, in uh, chapter 20, John 20, and we're just going to look at a couple verses, um, John 20, verses 19 to 21. John 20, 19 to 21. I'll read it for us. I'm reading from the ESV. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus, this is risen Jesus, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Let's pray again and let's dive in what I want to talk about. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we thank you that you are the risen Lord. Um, That we we pray um, to one who has lived and has died and has risen again. And Lord, you know what death is like. But Lord, you are alive, and because you are alive, you are able to send your spirit, and you are able to work in our midst. You're able to to break hard hearts, and you're able to soothe broken hearts. Lord, you're able to to do the impossible. Um, Lord, you're able to save us to the uttermost. And we praise you and thank you for all these things. And Jesus, we pray tonight that as we think about your resurrection... Uh, Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit and that you would open our eyes and that you would unstop our ears and that you would let our hearts burn within, burn within us as we, think about, uh, as we think about you and as we turn our thoughts and our hearts toward you. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So when we come to think about this idea of the resurrection, there are, kind of, uh, there are two things that are really, there's really one thing in this passage actually that's really interesting to me. And it's really the, the one thing that I want to talk about tonight. And it's the first thing out of Jesus' lips when he enters in the room with all of his friends. And you catch kind of what, I don't know if you know, if you've read much of John's gospel, but 
basically what's happened is out of fear for the Jews, it says, they've gathered into the rooms and they've locked the doors because they're afraid that the Jewish authorities are going to come after them. And Jesus walks into their midst and he says this very interesting thing that we're going to look at tonight. He says, peace be with you. Now, what's interesting is when you hear that word peace, and when I hear that word peace, it is totally lost on us, what he's saying. Because when you think peace, and when I think peace, I think back to my freshman year, and my mom, I love, I love my mom. My mom is a big part of how I became a Christian. Like, I can remember as my parents went through this really awkward, hard divorce, like, my mom would, my bedroom would be here, my mom's room would be here, and I would walk past, you know, to go play some it wasn't NCAA football, it was Bill Walsh College football on the Sega Genesis. I just dated myself. I am old. Um, but I would walk past, and I would see my mom Bible open, kind of reading. And I was like, that's not my mom. But yet it was my mom, because Jesus had made her new. But I can remember, my, as a freshman in college, I went to USC, but my mom would send me these inspirational cards. Like, she was trying to be an encouragement to me, because she knew freshman year for me, was incredibly hard because I was incredibly homesick. Like, I'm talking like homesick, like went home literally every weekend my first semester freshman year homesick. Like, just, just cry, you know, just, like I would, my freshman year was interesting because I would walk back to my roommate who's still one of my best friends and literally I would be incredibly depressed and I would walk in, and I'm not making this up, he would be like playing the guitar with like tears streaming down his face. I feel like we were the most depressed college experience ever. Um, so my mom, trying to be a good mom, would send me these cards. And they were all about Jesus giving me peace. Jesus giving me peace. Jesus giving me peace. And actually, it wasn't very helpful. It was helpful because I knew my mom loved me. But it wasn't very helpful because I really, I didn't need a kind of a Hallmark type peace. What I really needed was for Jesus to get me outside of myself and get me involved in something bigger than myself. And this is what I want to do. I want you to think about this because there are two different songs that I want you to think about when we think about how do we stop thinking about peace. Because the word that Jesus is using here is pregnant with Old Testament meaning. It's a word literally from the Old Testament, the word shalom. And the word shalom, which is peace in the Old Testament, means something much bigger than a feeling that I have. The word shalom, which is what tonight is going to be all about, the word shalom means rightness or wholeness. It's something that is much, it is something that's outside of me. It includes me, it involves me, but it's outside of me and it's bigger than me. There are two different songs I wanted to kind of contrast this with. One is the, the Eagles, who are, if you like classic rock and you like the Eagles, I'm sorry, I feel bad for you because the Eagles are terrible. We could talk more about this afterwards. But the Eagles song, Peaceful, e- Peaceful Easing Feeling, you know that song, I've got a peaceful, easy, I'm not going to sing it, but peaceful, easy feeling. And then think about Justin Timberlake's uh, Bringing Sexy Back. Okay, two very different songs. But here's all you see. This is what you've got to see as we kind of get into this tonight. That when you and I think about peace, we think about the eagles. Uh, peaceful, easy feeling. That Jesus came to, to make me feel good about myself. And if that's your understanding, I hope your mind is changed and blown tonight. Because Jesus came to do something far bigger than just that. Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise again and ascend into heaven just so you could feel good about yourself and have some personal peace. That's an incredibly American and Western idea of the word peace. But on the other hand, like Justin Timberlake, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't, Jesus, let me say it this way, Jesus came to bring shalom back. Justin Timberlake's bringing sexy back, Jesus came to bring shalom back, rightness, wholeness. And what I want you to see is he came to do it in four ways. 
There are four things you have to understand about shalom and what Jesus is doing in his resurrection um, that you just have to understand if you're going to understand Christianity. He, he, in four ways, Jesus brings shalom back. Peace, or shalom with God, shalom with others, shalom with self, and shalom with creation. In other words, he, he came to bring peace between us and God, peace between us and one another, peace between us and ourselves, and peace in the whole of creation. Let's, we're going to jump into those four things tonight. So first thing with me about how Jesus and his resurrection is a promise and he's bringing shalom with God. This is how we say it. So think about Romans 5.1. When Paul writes this, he says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you and I, when we think about peace with God, here's what you and I do. We think that peace with God comes through something that we do. And the first thing that I hope frees you by the re- about the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus rising again meant something much more profound. It meant that he himself is our peace with God. And through Jesus, not through anything that you and I do, but through Jesus and what he has done, Jesus has, has brought about peace with God. Now, here's the image that you have to understand. The, when Jesus says these words, peace be with you, he's actually going back to something, an image in the Old Testament that's really, really important. And he's going back to this idea that was called the Day of Atonement. And in the Day of Atonement, if you know the Old Testament at all, you know that the the priest, one time a year, would go into the Holy of Holies. It was such a solemn thing that they would actually, they would have bells around their feet so that the people outside, as they were waiting to see if the Lord would accept the sacrifice, they had bells in their feet so that they knew, they could hear the bells, they knew the priest was still moving, so they knew the priest was still alive. Because to go into the Holy of Holies was to go before the face of God himself. And the priest would make a sacrifice. And as the priest would come out, he would pronounce those words that sometimes you hear in church, the ironic blessing, and he would say, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The peace of the Lord be with you. And the people would shout and cheer because they knew that their sins had been atoned for. And that's what Jesus is doing. In the most ultimate way, Jesus has just gone to the cross and he's made the sacrifice of himself that the Bible says it's the sacrifice for your sins and my sins. And in his resurrection, his resurrection is the proof. His resurrection is the proof that the Father was pleased with the sacrifice. And so we can have peace with God through what Jesus did. Here's the way that I always think about it. So I love Forrest Gump. I'm unashamedly a huge Forrest Gump fan. Um, And there's a scene in Forrest Gump that I always think about when I think about this. And it's the scene with Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan is... I always want to call him Captain Dan, but it is Lieutenant Dan, right? Yes, okay, good. Good to know. Um, All right. So, Lieutenant Dan, uh, remember the scene where he and Forrest are in the shrimping business? And there's that one scene where they're out in the boat and that huge storm comes. And Lieutenant Dan is angry at God, rightfully so. He had both of his legs taken. Um, And you remember that scene where there's that huge storm and Lieutenant Dan, if you've never seen the movie, he, he kind of shimmies his way up to the very top, the, the, I guess you would call it the mast of the ship. I'm not a, I'm not a seaman, but uh, you know, the, whatever the top of the boat is called. And he starts shouting at God. He starts shouting and saying, you know, you know if you're real, you know, come and get, you know, just starts, kind of, all of his anger, just, just going, shouting toward God. And he comes back down. And the next day, Forrest has that simple line where he simply says, I guess Lieutenant Dan made his peace with God. And I always want to say, on the one hand, no. None of us could actually go and face 
the holiness of who God is and not be utterly just consumed and destroyed. But Jesus did. Jesus actually entered into the storm of God's anger, the storm of God's wrath toward us, and he comes out on the other side to proclaim to us that he himself has made peace between us and God. That it's not anything that you and I do, but it's everything that he's done that gives us peace with God. So shalom with God, between us and God. But the second thing we see is he brings shalom, he brings peace between us and one another. That's why Paul, again, Paul writing on this theme says in Ephesians 2.14, here's what he says. He says, for he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the, the, the dividing wall of hostility. And what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, if you remember, is the, is the incredible divide between Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying the radical thing about what Jesus has done is Jesus is actually bringing together people who are very, very different. He's bringing together people of different races. He's bringing together people of all kinds of different backgrounds, economic backgrounds, school backgrounds. He's bringing together all kinds of different personalities, such that heaven is going to be the most diverse place ever. Like that's part of why, like when I go, my sister for a while lived in New York City, and it was really, really fun to go and visit her, just because I've never been somewhere that was so incredibly diverse. I, mean, I grew up in Sumter, South Carolina, and it's not an incredibly diverse place, Right? But New York, there's, all, there's incredible diversity, and yet there's, this, there's something that brings these people together, and t- typically it's the city. Well, in a, a much, much bigger way, the gospel is bringing together all kinds of different people. You can think about it like this. So again, if you know your Bible at all, you know, remember that weird story in Genesis, the Tower of, Tower of Babel? And here's, here's humanity coming together. To, 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 to make their way to overthrow God. And remember, God disperses them. Well, in a similar way, that's exactly what's happening in the cross. Think about it this way. The cross is, is humanity from all kinds of Jews and Gentiles coming together to kill Jesus. And yet, in killing Jesus, what they're doing is they're actually, Jesus is undoing and reversing the Tower of Babel such that he's actually bringing humanity back together, making them one, giving, them all, giving all kinds of people, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, all kinds of different people, a love and a heart for God and a love and a heart for one another. And it's beautiful. It is a beautiful thing to be able to call someone of a very different background, your brother in Christ, whom you love from your heart because you both know Jesus. And if you don't do that, if you don't, if you're not able to do that, because here's what you and I do. What you and I do in our sinfulness is we're always looking for ways to distinguish ourselves We're always looking for something to make me better. And so we hold on to the smallest things. We hold on to race. We hold on to background. We hold on to interests. Um, Here, uh, there's a guy called, uh, his name is Emo Phillips. And he's he's actually a comedian. Think about this idea that we're always looking for something to discredit other people. Instead Instead of being united under one cause, the cause of Jesus, Emo Phillips is this comedian, and he has this joke that I love, and the joke simply goes like this. He says he's walking, one, he's walking on a bridge one day, and he sees a man who's about to jump off the bridge and kill himself, and here's how the conversation goes. He says, Are you? He says, wait, 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 don't jump. I, I think I can help you. And they go through this conversation. He goes, are you, are you a religious man or an atheist? And he says, well, I'm, I'm a religious man. He says, well, me too. I'm religious too. And he says, are you a Buddhist or a Christian? And he says, well, I'm a Christian. And he says, you're a Christian? Oh, me too. I'm a Christian. He says, uh, are you a Catholic or a Protestant? He says, well, I'm a Protestant. He says, me too. Are you an Episcopalian or a Baptist? He says, I'm a Baptist. 
He says, me too. He says, are you a, uh, are you a Baptist church of God or Baptist church of the Lord? And he says, I'm a Baptist church of God. He says, me too. He says, are you a reformed Baptist church of God or are you an original Baptist church of God? He says, I'm a reformed Baptist church of God. He says, me too. He says, are you a reformed Baptist church of God, Reformation 1879 or are you a Reformed Baptist Church of God, 19, Reformation 1915? And he says, the man who's about to jump says, I'm a, Reformation, I'm a Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1915. And he says, die you heretic scum, and pushes him off the edge. <laughs> I, I love that. I, it's a joke, obviously. I love that because that's so true. <laughs> that we are looking for, like, and by the way, if you've been around RUF for a while, like, you're, you're, you're like, this is you. You're, you're so guilty of this. Where you're constantly looking for something that makes you better than someone else. And Jesus has come to completely undo that. He's come to, he's come to completely, instead of, here's, here's the other, instead of shalom means, Instead of looking for ways to discredit other people, shalom means this. It means you're a good Samaritan. It means you're constantly looking for ways to love and to help and to serve and to make the life, to sacrificially give yourself to make another person whole, to make their life better. And I promise you, you and I are far more about the good life than we're about being good Samaritans. You and I are far more about our own interests and our own selves than we are about sacrificially loving anyone around us. So, Jesus has come to bring shalom with God, shalom with others. And here's the, the third thing I want you to see. Is he's come to bring shalom with yourself. He's come to, to, in other words, he's come to make you be at peace with yourself. Now, for some of you, this is going to sound weird, but track with me for a second. Because the reality is that a lot of you that are here, you actually hate yourself. Either, typically we fall into two camps. Either you hate yourself, or you actually feel very, very good about yourself, and both are sort of off. Both are kind of wrong. Because the gospel calls you to something, it doesn't call you to hate yourself, and it doesn't call you to, to love yourself in an inappropriate way, but it calls you to what C.S. Lewis called blessed self-forgetfulness. And no one put it better again than Paul. Paul, there's this place, I've been, this, I've been thinking about this for a long time, because I think, I've, I've shared with a lot of you that the struggle of approval is a huge, just, it's just a huge part of my heart idolatry. It's just the way that I'm wired for whatever reason. From, very, I mean, like from a very young age, I was constantly aware of what other people were wearing, like what kind of shoes were cool, what kind of umbros were cool, or you know, whatever kind of brand was cool. Like I was constantly looking for ways that I could fit myself in to a certain group and be approved of. In other words, for me, I'm constantly looking for a way for, for other people, people that I like or people that I want to be a part of, to, to look at me and kind of give me their blessing, right? Say, so you're part of us. You're part of our group now. And a lot of you can relate to that. A lot of you wrestle with this. But there's a passage that I think is really interesting where Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, talking about this idea of Jesus has come to, bring, to make you at peace with yourself. He says this. It's, it's, it's interesting. He says, it's a small thing. That I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for it is the Lord who judges me. And here's what's fascinating, because let me sort of put that into a Sammy paraphrase for you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I don't, I don't 
care what you think about me. I don't even care what I think about me because I know what God thinks about me. And here's the the beautiful thing about the resurrection is that you have been judged. You have already been judged in Christ. Your sins, have that's what the cross is. Your sins have been judged in Christ. And with his resurrection, he says, you are now forgiven and free and you're declared as righteous as Jesus himself is. And it's an, ama- it's an, it's an incredible thing to, to, to know. Like, can you imagine the freedom of, of, of being this, this, this criminal and you've gone to court and you know your sin, you know you're wrong, and the judge pronounces you innocent because he pronounced Jesus guilty in your place. And the freedom that comes with that is incredible. You're, you have this peace with yourself. Uh, there's, a, there's a recent interview with Madonna that um, I, th- I thought was really interesting because talking about the idea of being restless talking about the idea of, of not having peace within herself, there's this place in the interview, this recent interview, where she says, because the interesting thing about Madonna is that she's still going. Like when I was, I mean, I think I can remember when I was like five years old, I remember a material girl coming out. I mean, this is like when I was five, like I'm 32 now. This is 27 years ago. Madonna is like, has this, this hit CD, right? And she's still going. And you're like, what? Like at some point, a reasonable person is like, okay, I've put in my years it's time to lay this thing down. Like I had a good run, you know. Like I'm not. Like I'm not eternal. Maybe maybe Madonna isn't eternal. Like maybe she's some some sort of eternal, like demon being. I don't know. <laughs> she is weirdly muscular, right? Like Madonna is. Like I'm pretty sure Madonna would take me in a fight. And I mean, I like I'm not. I'm just not. That's a surprise. But um, anyways, so in this interview, though, she said something incredibly honest and incredibly profound. She said this. She said, "I won't be content." until I'm more famous than God. I won't be content until I'm more famous than God himself. And what she was doing is just being honest. That that's what's in my heart and in your heart, is this sense, I mean, what in your, let me ask you this question, what in your life is not about you? Is there anything in your life right now that is not ultimately about you? In your heart and in my heart, we, have, we do this thing where we say, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be content until I'm as famous as God himself. And when we're living like that, we either hate ourselves because we know it's wrong or we're incredibly proud in ourselves. And Jesus in his resurrection frees us. He says, you've been judged. Your sin has been dealt with and paid for. And now you live as a, as a free, forgiven, righteous person. Uh, in, in other words, this means two things. Not only does it mean that I've been judged and declared righteous by God, but it also means that God is so committed to what we call our future glory selves. Because some of you are not at peace with yourself because there's a struggle in your life, and you can't see your life apart from that struggle. In other words, you can't see 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, where the Lord is patiently at work in you, changing you, changing your heart, changing what you love. In other words, 20 years, you, you, you need, if you're ever going to learn to be at peace with yourself, two things have to happen. You have to understand your forgiven status before God, that you've been judged in Jesus. But the other thing you have to catch a, a view of is what we call our, your future glory self. In other words, what you're going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth. Do you have a view of what you will be like when you stand before Jesus, when he returns or when you go to be with him and when he, when he literally begins to make all things new and make all things right. Like catching a bit, like it's this past year, this is one of the things that, um, this past year I started going to this place called Mepkin Abbey. It's this little monastery in, in, um, 
right outside of Charleston. And it's a pretty cool gig because, like, they let you go and, and stay for free. As long, all you kind of have to do is enter into the life of the monks there a little bit, which is kind of interesting um, and, and scary at the same time. But it's a nice, basically a free little place to go and be away and just, and just be with Jesus. And so I went this past year. And one of the thoughts that's been, like, on my mind since I've become a Christian is this idea of, of you know, a lot of times we say the apple doesn't fall uh, far from the tree. Like, so the idea is you're going to be like your mom, you're going to be like your dad. Uh, you, you're just, you're, it's, it's just, it's fate. Like, you can't help but be like your mom, you can't help but be like your dad, and that's just sort of your lot in life. And I was just thinking about that, and I've always had this fear of, I, you know, I, I want to be, be different than my parents. I, I want to, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I just, there are a lot of different ways I'd like to be different. And I can remember praying and thinking, the, the promise of the resurrection is that, I, that God is going to make me much more like Jesus than he is going to make me more like my mom or my dad. That's the promise. That the apple can fall far from the tree. It can. Because God is so committed to you, not only has he declared you righteous, but he's actually committed to make you more like Jesus. And you've got to catch a vision of that, though. You've got to catch a vision of what you're going to be like when you're with Jesus. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. It's the last thing I want you to see. Shalom with God, shalom with others, shalom with self. The last thing I want you to see is shalom, that Jesus has come to bring peace in creation. Shalom in the whole of creation. Again, this is what Paul talks about when he's talking about Romans 8, 22. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning. It's been longing to be made new. That trees and rocks and mountains are longing for God to come and to make things whole and to make things right again. Another way of saying it, saying it is, when you and I think about heaven, part of why we, we don't like it is because we think about it as Jesus making all new things. Like you and I, part of what's kind of terrifying, like I dated a girl one time in high school and she was terrified of heaven. And part of why she was terrified of heaven was this idea of the unknowableness of it. But the Bible actually says, and Jesus actually says, that Jesus did not come to make all new things. Jesus came to make all things new. And so it's not, I like the way that Brian Habeck says it. He's like, it's not like we're going to get to heaven. And God's like, oh, you like trees? Well, guess what? We've got these things in heaven called crees. Uh, you know, it's like, no, there's going to be this sense in which, like, we're going to, there's going to be a, a, a sense in which, Jesus, like, the things that we love most about here are going to be made whole and even better in our enjoyment of the new heavens and the new earth. Another way of, th- of thinking about the resurrection is that Jesus, Jesus is, you know, if you're an Apple person, you know how when a new iPhone comes out, right before it's released, they have the prototype, right? The prototype is the first kind of model to see what it's like. Jesus is the prototype of a bigger resurrection. Jesus is the first one who is raised again And he's a promise of what is going to happen. If you belong to him, he's a promise of what is going to happen to you and me. That that he's going to raise us again bodily to go be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to talk a lot more about that at the end of this series. And here's here's application that I want you to see. Uh, In terms of what do you do with this? What does this mean? And uh, there's there's actually a a Zach Galifianakis line that... Um, that actually helps me apply this whole idea of shalom. And it's from when he hosted SNL. He had this line that I've always loved where he basically said, you know, sometimes if you know Zach Galifianakis at all, if you know his stand-up, he does. He'll get on the piano and just say these little one-line jokes. And he's got one where he says, sometimes I do something and I think to myself, that was so raven. 
And sometimes, another times I do think, another times I do something and I think to myself, that was not very Raven. And what I love about that is, here's what this means. This means in everything that you do, from small to big, it either was very shalom, you could either say that was shalom, or that was not very shalom. Let me give you a small example as we start thinking about closing. Here's a small example. So let's say one of you comes up to me after tonight, and you introduce yourself, and you say, hey, my name is, my name is Tammy. And I say, hey, Tammy, my name is Tammy, and I reach, and I say, nice to meet you. What if you came up to me and said, hey, my name is Tammy, and I said, screw you, Tammy, and just walked out the door. <laughs> never do that, but here's the point. That even something as small as a greeting either adds to or takes away from shalom. We could talk about, let's talk about the way you treat the opposite sex. Is it shalom or not very shalom? Let's talk about the way you handle your money. Is it shalom or not very shalom? Let's talk about the way you handle your body. Is it shalom or not very shalom. This is the, the idea that Jesus is coming. He's, he's making, the good news though is that Jesus is inviting us into the shalom that he's bringing about. I'll close with this. There's a, there's a scene from Lord of the Rings that I've always loved. And it's toward the end uh, in Return of the King. And uh, it's a scene where Samwise, they've just, the, the ring has been destroyed. And Samwise wakes up in that room and Gandalf is standing right there. I'm just going to read it for us as we think about this. And here's how it goes. Samwise says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? And Gandalf says, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And what I love about that is Jesus actually does what Samwise and Gandalf are talking about. That Jesus in his resurrection is actually saying, yes, the sad things are beginning to come untrue. The sad things in your relationship with God are beginning to come untrue and I've made it new. The sad things that we do to one another are beginning to come untrue and I'm making them new. The sad things that you do to yourself are beginning to come untrue and I'm making you new and the sad things that happen in this creation are beginning to come untrue and I'm making it new. And the the glorious thing is not only is he doing it for us, something we can never do, but he's actually inviting us to be a part of it. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for um, the shalom that you have come to bring. And I pray, O oh Lord, that, um, that that would be something that not only we understand ourselves in light of, but that would be something, Lord, that you uh, more deeply uh, begin to call us into and, and to be a part of, to work for the shalom that you are working for. And Lord, I pray that you in a thousand ways would apply this more and more as we think uh, about this as we go from here. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.